Chris Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nimmer Snatter, just talking to teachers. Hello and welcome to this week's Nailers Natter and this week I'm in conversation with Chris Moyes. So Chris is a nationally acclaimed trainer and consultant with over 30 years of experience in education. He's a PE teacher for 18 years, a head of department and a senior leader and he's now head of staff development for Bridgewater College Trust. So in this week's Natter we look at Chris's work to encourage teachers to always improve, to always get better and to continually grow. We discuss, it, we discuss Chris's pioneering work in professional development and his influential blogs. We also have our usual TDT section, and I am sticking with our hashtag Teacher Five a Day theme in the podcast pedagogy section. So I'm going to be reviewing The Volunteer in books by Jack Fairweather, Foolish Loving Spaces by Blossoms in music, and The Lighthouse in film. So without further ado, let's get into the podcast and start talking to teachers. Okay, so hello Chris and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's nice to see it. Thanks for asking me, Phil. No problem at all. No problem. And obviously, listeners who are listening to this will no doubt have heard you on the Talking Teachers podcast. So just a signpost to that if anybody hasn't seen that. It's an excellent podcast and Chris's interview on there is really, really good. So we're just going to get into the first question, which is just the sort of gentle introductory question. So if you can just tell listeners a little bit about your career to this point and what kind of things you're working on at the moment. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it's a reasonably long career. I started teaching in 1985. Um, uh, started, I was a PE teacher and uh, I taught for 18 years. Um, I decided when I just got just after the age of 40 that um, I couldn't be a PE teacher any longer, actually. Um, it was it was getting tiring. Um, and, and, I, and to be honest, I was just a little bit bored as well. I wanted a new kind of direction. So I, I got a job with a local authority doing sort of consultancy, uh, and that took me to multiple schools, and I really enjoyed that that role uh, and, and rode the wave, really, of that job for uh, a number of years. Um, and then I looked for senior leader posts, and I just happened to be working in a school where the deputy head had just become a head of a, um, a reasonably, uh, say, difficult school, but a, certainly a school that experienced quite a lot of difficulties over the years. And he invited me to join him on a part-time basis as a senior leader there with a very specific role, and that was to look after the adults. So that was quite different uh, in terms of being a senior leader. I didn't really expect that kind of role, but I ended up just looking after the adults. Uh, and I did that for um, seven years. I left two and a half years ago. And uh, a year and a half ago, I um, started as head of staff development for... Um, Bridgewater and Taunton College Trust, of which the school I was a senior leader at is, is one of eight schools. It's a three to 19 um, multi-academy trust in Somerset. And, and all the schools, except for two, are structurally different. So we have an all-through school and uh, an all-boys state boarding agricultural school and an upper school and um, a, a tiny village primary. So it's quite varied um, and, and you know interesting work to be doing. So I'm head of staff development there. Um, I also balance that with running my own business as well. And I've, I've been a consultant now um, working uh, in schools across the UK for about 15 years. And I, I've worked in about 650, I think. So quite varied and, and fairly long. 
Absolutely, and lots to ask about there. I was just nodding my head when you mentioned about PE teaching at the age of 40. I mean, I, I've always taught science, but I did dabble in PE, um, which I found yeah. really I found really, uh, really quite good when I was in my 20s and ahead of year because it was the ideal thing to be doing. But I, I can totally yeah. sympathise. I can't imagine pulling on a tracksuit these days, definitely not. No, I, I just, you know, when you get past 40, you don't look good in Lycra, do you? And, and I came fourth <laughs> I in the year. I don't think I ever did, cross. to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> I, I came fourth in the year seven cross country, so I thought, yeah, now's time to hang the boots up. So, um, <laughs> I was getting a bit frustrated by um, not being able to demonstrate at the highest level some of the things that I used to uh, see as, as fairly simple. So some of the gymnastics, the athletic stuff that I did. Um, so uh, that was frustrating. But actually, I was just getting a bit bored of it. I wanted a different direction and a change and and, um, and and some kind of route into senior leadership, which the school I found myself in at the time wasn't kind of offering me. So I needed to have quite a radical change. And and leaving school for a little while actually was exactly the right thing for me. So um, I'm really pleased to made that made that leap. Definitely. Okay, so we're going to look at um, a little bit about professional development and professional growth, um, as, as as I like the way that you, that you describe that. So uh, obviously, yeah. be aware that. You know, some of the, the work that I've been doing recently is with the Teacher Development Trust and, and they're very much joining yep. into this podcast. So we've all been extremely excited down in the office there to look at your professional growth policy. So I'm going to ask a little bit more around that, if that's OK. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I'll start off by uh, asking you about your blog of November last year, which was entitled RIP Performance Management. So yes, yeah. you use that famous quote about insanity at the end, um, you know. So tell us a little bit about why you think performance management is dead. Um. One of the, the the jobs I've had in the last uh, 10 years or so was working alongside a guy called Paul Guinness, who sadly passed away uh, five years ago now. He wrote the Teacher's Toolkit. Yes, I And well. uh, he, he used to start his days with um, that quote from, allegedly, Albert Einstein, doing the same thing in the same way and expecting different results. And when I returned to... Um, I left senior leadership, but when I returned a year later to work for the trust I work for, of which that school is part, uh, a conversation I had with the CEO, Peter, was along the lines of, you know, performance management, is it, is it any good? Is it worthwhile? And I said, well, I don't think it is. I, I don't know a teacher who's actually improved as a direct result of being engaged in that process. So um, I wanted to do something different. And I had that, that phrase, doing the same thing in the same way and expecting a different result, ringing in my head quite a lot. And I was determined not to do the same thing. So one of the things that I did do when I started to write that policy was I pledged never to look at what other schools were doing. Um, that for me was really important. I didn't want to do the same thing. And, and so I, my inspiration for that replacement for performance management actually comes from the business world um, and, and has a lot of the features that um, some of the models I, I looked at have. So um, I, that, that's where that phrase certainly came from. And it's really interesting because, um, you know, in, in your role that you've got in terms of, you know, you're looking after the staff, um, it's a little bit more strategic and rather than the day to day operational. And, you, and it was interesting that you said there that you didn't look at other schools policies and you had the time mm -hmm. and the space and the kind of, you know, <laughs> vista to look a little bit wider about what kind of things you could do and, and looking at. Business yeah, stuff. absolutely. I'm in a very privileged position. I'm allowed to have um, and find time for that kind of strategic thinking. I knew that when I wrote this policy, I'm going to get one one shot at this. And if I get it wrong, it's not going to be accepted by the, the eight schools or the five schools that we originally had, but now we have eight. And, and, and I knew I had to get it right. So um, I was given pretty much uh, at least half the year 
to to write it and research it. So um, it gave me quite a long time to do that. But one of the things that I agreed fairly early on with the, the CEO is is that I wanted to move away from anything around um, target setting. Really, I wanted to get rid of that delayed look back that performance mo- management often has. And it's it's a funny cycle because you you. You, you start looking back what you did last year, having had August and September. And, and to be honest, the world's moved on. So I didn't want that kind of look back at what I did last academic year. I wanted to start the process within an academic year and finish it within the same one. So we got rid of the delayed look back and we also got rid of any kind of data targets or any actually any imposed targets. And the other thing that we, I also wanted to get rid of, and it's something that we, we did at my own school as a senior leader, is you know, we stopped grading lessons in 2009, as soon as I started in that role. And I wanted all the other schools to fall into line with that. Not that many of our schools did have high stakes observations, but I certainly wanted to get rid of that. And, and the other thing that I, I wanted to, and I still want to see the back of, and we're, we're trialing this very much at the moment, is the whole idea of hierarchical lesson observations. I want to, I want to remove the hierarchy attached to that process as well it's a small part of it but i think it's quite a significant part so i had some kind of basic principles that i wanted to have um as a result of this policy so i wanted to have it less as an annual event and more something that was ongoing and and i wanted it to to be based very much more in the future and what was possible in the future and what the solutions were rather than dwelling on the past which is a, you know you can't change and i also wanted to make the whole process much more collaborative and less hierarchical which it always seemed to be in the past and i i wanted the schools that i work with to stop talking about their teachers and start talking with them and so we had this we have this mantra about it's it's about improving not proving so uh, that's a kind of um, a phrase that stuck with us, improve, not prove. And the other one I think that's really important is it's not a one-size-fits-all policy. It's a one-size-fits-one. So we're trying to get people to generate their own um, goal for the year, which they, they then pursue over sort of six, seven months' worth of the year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just there's lots and lots of stuff within the policy, and as you said, you spent you know half a year looking at this. So if we just go right back to the start and talk about the professional growth policy, so what would you say are the key drivers for staff development? Um, well, several really. I mean, one is obviously um, staff development and school improvement. That was you know the two key things around this policy. But if I'm honest, because there's there's other things attached to this policy that make it maybe slightly different from other schools, it was very much around uh, recruitment, retention, and well-being as well. One of the um, I'm not a massive fan of Richard Branson, but he he had a quote once, something along the lines of, um, "You train people well enough so they can move on, but you treat them well enough so they want to stay." And we very much started off with that kind of idea. So although this is about staff development and hopefully leading to school improvement, it's also about recruiting the right people because they see it as a place where they're going to grow and be nurtured and looked after. But also the people we've got within the organisation, many of which are really skilled teachers, we wanted to keep them. And, you know, one of the the features of um, our policy, two things really, one is an automatic pay rise. Um, you just maintain the teacher standards and be engaged in the process of professional growth. So I guess it's not really automatic, but you know you don't have to 
prove with lots of paperwork, for example. And the other one is we have an accelerated upper pay range, which you can apply for upper pay range after two years. And that interested a huge amount of our staff and kept quite a lot of our staff because several of our schools are quite close to the M5 and some of our teachers travel quite a distance to get to some of our schools and they're getting paid more in our organisation than they might be in others. And, and that's quite an attractive proposition as well. So there are some features which certainly are about staff development, school improvement, but it's also a policy, I hope, that generates um, an impact on our recruitment and certainly our retention. Mm. And because I think we don't have uh, data-driven targets or um, high-stakes lesson observations, I think that hopefully will have an impact on staff well-being too. So it has it has lots of different drivers. Definitely. So going further into the policy, so what advantages would you say that this continuous professional growth has for teachers, which you've outlined some of there, but also for the pupils in the schools? Um, at the start of the year, teachers are um, asked to reflect on um, their abilities as a teacher and, and how well their class or their classes did last year. Uh, and then they have to think about a class they teach or the class they teach if they're primary and think about the needs of the children in one of those classes and then write a uh, professional growth plan that um, that addresses that need and develops one aspect of your practice. And then for the whole year, well, from October, end of October to um, the end of June, you focus on that particular thing, hopefully receiving reasonably frequent feedback, having regular check-ins with your, your phase or your subject. And at the end of the year, you review what you've done and you share your, your findings for your, of your year's work with your, with your colleagues in your team. So um, the essence of it is, is built on, it was, there was a book I read um, quite a few years ago now by Dan Pink called Drive. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah, of Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. That, yeah. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good book. And he talks in there about the three things that drive people um, is purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And having a clear purpose, I think, is something I really wanted from this professional growth plan. But not purposes, a purpose. So uh, a quite um, narrow yet significant focus. I wanted people to have a sense of choice, as well although i don't think teachers in a you know in an organization can be really genuinely autonomous i think we can give them um a sense of autonomy and choice so they 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 choose what they want to focus on but obviously that's within the parameters of their their subject in the organization but the thing that i i've always i've had been quite critical of cpd is that it often is quite scattergun and it never seems to um take place over a long enough time for to have any impact. So bear in mind Dan Pink's third driver, which was mastery. I wanted this um, narrow yet fairly significant focus to be sustained over time, almost to it becomes part, you know, you can't not do it. It becomes real part of your practice. So, so that was a very key driver, the, the whole purpose, autonomy and mastery. No, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, and just, just on that link, um, you mentioned about that teachers set the target at the beginning of the year. So just, just a question to kind of throw out there. Do, do yep. you feel that teachers are good or we as teachers are good at establishing our own levels of competence and, and how do you go about kind of 
do, do you signpost teachers to particular areas of development? Is that done through sort of middle leaders or whatever? It yeah, might be? it's it's not a complete free for all. So um, you do negotiate, although you draft your professional growth plan before you meet your line manager. So we 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 stick to the starting time is fairly similar to um, old style professional um, performance management in that it's done before the October half term. And you would meet with your line manager with a draft of your professional growth plan, um, which hopefully was meeting the needs of one of your classes. And then that person has a um, a script that they don't necessarily have to stick to, but it, it helps them give them a little bit of structure and purpose to that meeting. And that, that line manager will then ask you some, some reasonably, hopefully, probing questions about whether or not it is the right focus for you and for the children you teach. So although there is a sense of autonomy, I do think the job of the line manager is to make sure that people choose well. Mm -hmm. um, now, although I don't think it's happened particularly well this year in, in future years, and certainly when we did a similar thing at the school that I worked at before, we used to quality assure the plans so if we felt it wasn't maybe challenging enough or maybe targeted enough, we might get that person to rethink that focus. But to be honest, the essence of it is not the achievement of that goal. It's your engagement in the process. So if you got to Christmas and you think, actually, do you know, I've nailed this goal. Do you move on to another one? Or if you you got a couple of weeks, a couple of months in, you thought, actually, this is not the thing I need to do. Or someone says it's not the thing you need to do, then just change it. So it's not the achievement of that, that target or that goal. It's just your engagement in the whole process of professional growth that ensures that you move up through the pay scale. Mm. I mean, just on a slightly related anecdote. So some of the teacher development trust stuff work that we did in, in Blackpool was looking at professional development and the removal of data targets and a move towards a sort of a more disciplined inquiry uh, approach. To it. But yep. no, nothing like as detailed um, as your professional growth policy. But what we did find is that you know, when we mentioned the dropping of data targets and then everyone's, you know, celebrating that, you know, rightly so. But then there was the assumption that, well, this process might be less rigorous. It might be a little bit easier. But actually, and you mentioned it there, you know, engagement in the process is an ongoing thing. And it's actually quite, yeah. quite a challenge to do that. But it's also, you know, hugely beneficial to both the member of staff that's doing it and to the pupils that teach as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one, you know, the question you asked me was what impact do you hope it's going to have on the children? Well, if you're doing something until you master it, if you like, uh, not I'm a great fan of that kind of expression, but you know what I mean, when it becomes part of your daily practice, that's hopefully going to have an impact on, on the children. It's incredibly difficult to say, because I did this, this was the impact on the children. That's really difficult. And I think if people are engaged in the process of wanting to get better, for me, that's almost good enough. You know, they don't have to at the end prove how much you know, more brilliant they are as a result of doing this. They just need to think, how can I get better? I, I need to get better. What, you know, it, it's just this idea of continuous improvement, because one of the things that's always got me about CPD, that three letter acronym, is that we often forget what the letters stand for. And it's continuous professional development, which in my head is something that you continuously do rather than something you do at the odd twilight. So. I do think that although the, the target is useful because it gives a structure to this whole program, it's your engagement in and your desire to want to be better as a professional that's the most important thing. So we have that at the start of the year, the plan, 
And at the end of the year, people review and then share their findings so we can learn from each other. Uh, and, and that final thing, actually, is, is quite a point of accountability, because if you've got to stand up literally in front of your your department team or your phase team and present what you've been doing and, it, and it's not very good, then you can look a bit of a muppet. So those, those devising the plan at one end and then reviewing and sharing at the other end are, are really useful starts and ends. But the in-between bit for me is the bit that's different. Uh, this is the bit that, if I'm honest, we're struggling a little bit with. One is frequent feedback. Uh, that's really important. I don't, I don't really want it once a term because that's, that's no use to anybody. I want it much more frequent than that. And, and we're struggling at the moment with the time to get that, um, although I have a cunning plan. Um, but the other one is regular check-ins. Now, the whole check-in idea is something that I, I just nicked from Adobe. They have in their, their replacement for performance management, they have check-ins. And what that is, is one-to-one coaching and, and mentoring that happens almost monthly. And I wanted something similar within our own processes that kind of mirrored that. So at, at phase meetings or department meetings, um, subject meetings, staff meetings, if the school's that small, then there would be a, an opportunity for whoever line manages you to check in with you to see how your plan is progressing, what the barriers have been, what the successes have been, and so on. So the plan at the start, the review at the end, frequent feedback in between and regular check-ins with your team is, is the essence of it, really. No, it's great. And then, I mean, what I did like as well, I mean, I like many things about this policy and I like the fact that you obviously shared this quite widely so that people can get that, you know, from websites and, and Twitter and, and those kind of areas. But you link yeah. everything back to teacher standards. So how do you yeah. use teacher standards to help teachers reflect on the successes, strengths and areas for development? Well, at the start of the year, they um, it's not a document that they have to send to anybody. Um, it's just a document that is for reflection and it's on, it's on my blog actually. And all it is, is the teacher standards with a scale of zero to 10 next to each of the eight standards. And, um, the, the zero to 10 scale is not, um, zero, one and two is inadequate. Three, four is, you know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's just a subject, your own subjective measure of where you think you are. But the most important thing, if you say, I don't know, I'm a, at standard number one, which is, um, I can't remember what standard number one is. Um, uh, what is standard number one? Can you remember? I was going to say plan and teach well-structured lessons, but I might be wrong. No, I, no, I don't think it is. Um, oh, anyway, we'll just cut, we'll, we'll no, cut this high part. Expectations. <laughs> it's high expectations. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you say that I, I think I'm a seven for number one, which is about high expectations, then it's, it doesn't matter where you place yourself. The most important thing is, what would you that now do to take you just one point up that scale? Um, so, you know, it may be something as simple as uh, I want to raise the level of challenge for my high attainers by asking them much more probing questions or, or whatever it might be. And what you end up with um, is a document that has all the eight teacher standards, a kind of zero to 10 rating for yourself and then a next step for each of those eight. So you've got all the, that information plus, you know, how well your children did last year and any sort of data attached to that possibly. Uh, and your own kind of reflections on, on what you feel you need to do, plus the information that you have about your new class or your new classes. And you use all of that then to devise your plan for the year. 
No, I mean, it, it's brilliant to get that link back to the teacher standards because it's almost as if teacher standards are used for NQTs and then not forgotten about, but certainly less used um, for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, no, they, they aren't used. And I don't understand why, because, you know, when um, we, we don't use capability procedures very often at all, but they, the, the teacher standards for us would be our first port of call for that. Um, you know, for me, they're the standards that, you know, what all we ask teachers to do is we don't ask them to prove that they have maintained those standards. We would probably know if they didn't. Um, we just asked them to maintain the standards at which they qualified, which is the teacher standards. Um, so, you know, we, they, people only reflect on them once a year, um, but certainly they may well take the teacher standard or one of the teacher standards as, as their focus for the year for their professional growth plan. So it is, it is linked back, although we don't dwell hugely on it. It's just part of that reflection process that happens sort of September, October at the start of the year. So I was going to ask you about the challenging uh, focus scripts that you've got and, and how are they used by, by line managers in the process? Yeah, they're just, um, they're just really, a lot of those are, um, there is a, it's based on the GROW model, so the goal, reality, options, what next kind of structure to coaching. And it's just a number of questions uh, that we ask our line managers to ask of the people that they are trying to negotiate this plan with. And a lot of the questions actually are just repeats of questions that are actually on the professional growth plan. So I might come, if you were my line manager, I'd come to the meeting with you armed with a draft of my professional growth plan. And I've addressed some of those questions already as I filled that, that, that document in. And then you would probably re-ask as, as my leader, you would ask those questions again. And all of, all of that script does is give... Um, a sense of purpose to that conversation, making sure that at the end of that conversation, we're clear about what that person's goal is um, for the rest of the year. So it, it's just to ensure a little bit of consistency amongst the numerous leaders that we have across the eight schools in our trust. No, definitely. So the professional growth plan also factors in sort of external or internal training. It factors in opportunities for, uh, you know, future promotions, whatever it might be, and time. So how do you go about factoring all of this into the professional growth plan? Um, the What we would have at the uh, at a certain time of year is everyone obviously has to do that plan and then and then send it in. And the person who would lead professional development, teaching, learning within the school would obviously have access to all of those plans and therefore be able to maybe group staff or start to think about potential professional development opportunities that would really interest uh, quite a few people within their school setting. So if uh, we ask people to focus on um, the sort of skills, that, the sort of strategies you would use on a daily basis, you know, the sorts of things that always happen between the bells, the kind of strategies that you would use when no one is looking. So we very much focus on, on the day-to-day -day, things like explaining and modeling and checking for understanding and feedback. So if you focus on one of those things, um, and then what we do is we put people together in groups. They can maybe, you know, um, find out information from each other, the sorts of things that they've been trying out in their classrooms, maybe observe each other, maybe get feedback from those people. Uh, but certainly we can use the different focuses that we have across our schools to then guide what CPD is put in place for them. Hmm. 
Mm. And uh, just going to ask you very quickly um, about lesson observations. So lesson observations are quite a thorny issue, and I've had a few different opinions in various <coughs> different roles in school. So I've gone yeah. from everything from being an AST where lesson observations was probably quite a big part of the role from a supportive point of view, and then you know sort of modelling lessons for other people to completely yeah. abandoning any sort of lesson observation because we're looking at evidence around lesson observation and particularly you know categorising lessons in in the uh, yeah. Ofsted categories. So you do still use observations, which is definitely the yeah. way that, that I want to sort of move towards in terms of my own thinking. But how do you use them supportively to try and grow teachers professionally? Yeah, well, okay. So uh, lesson observation is one part of what we might term professional support. So we would certainly have, you know, ongoing conversations, maybe co-planning, uh, dialogue, mentoring, coaching, uh, analysis of, uh, of schemes of work or books or whatever it might be. Uh, and observation is just what another kind of strand to that professional support. Now, if you've chosen on your professional growth plan something that is classroom based, what you need to get um, is feedback on that. Because the idea of the professional growth plan is that it's a goal that takes you beyond maybe what's familiar and comfortable, that you relentlessly focus on that thing until you get it right. But in order to make sure you're getting it right, you need to seek feedback. Now, for me, the lesson observation, therefore, is an important part of that. Um, now, um, the school, one of the schools in our trust, the one where I was a senior leader, we um, haven't graded lessons. Um, we got rid of it in 2009. So the majority of the staff, if there are there, and there are a few staff who are left from that kind of time, have never been exposed to being graded. So we, we've, we've never gone down that route. And we also don't go down the route of judging a teacher through observation either. So lesson observation for me is much less of an issue because there are two reasons why I may come into someone's classroom. The first one is to help that teacher become even better with their chosen focus or to learn from that teacher because they do the thing that I can't. So, you know, for me, lesson observations should be more frequent than they really are. I think they should have a greater focus and really focus on a solution as well. So, I, you know, I don't think it's it's right that we get rid of them. I think they're an important part. I, I actually would increase the number personally. But if you go in to see someone teach, you don't have to be in there the whole lesson. It can be a really focused um, amount of time. So it could be just 15 minutes when that person I know is focusing on uh, modeling writing or something using their visualizer you'd only go into the 10 minutes that they're doing that um, and and then provide them feedback just on that short amount of time so lesson observation is a really important part of this process because feedback is a really important part of this process and if you choose something that's lesson based you have to have a lesson observation mm. and what sort of training do you have to put in place for sort of appraisers um, to ensure that you know, that staff, I mean, obviously you mentioned your own school that you're working in. The office staff are used to this process and feel supported yeah. by it. But how do you go about ensuring that's the case, you know, across multiple schools in many different phases in classrooms? Um, well, I mean, with, with things like uh, NQTs or RQTs, I obviously do mentor training. But with, with middle leaders, I think, you know, what they have received over the years is, is this process being modelled to them. Mm. Um, one thing that I think needs to be clear is one of the reasons that people don't like lesson observation and don't like feedback is that often it's it's reasonably high stakes and it may be linked to appraisal. So we never link any observation to appraisal and we never link any observation to teacher standards. 
So we never use it as a judgmental process. And one of the reasons I think people don't like it is because it um, is often um, undertaken by somebody who is higher up the food chain than you. So it's hierarchical. And I think the, the thing to, um, that I think all schools should be thinking about is trying to remove the hierarchy. Um, and for me, making it non-hierarchical would actually, um, I think, change people's attitude quite dramatically. So within our trust, I'm trialling it at the moment, I'm just about to with one school, with, um, that it's a middle school, so it's got primary and secondary age children in it. And, and quite a lot of those classes have a TA. And, and so what I'm just started doing is I'm going to be working with a group of T, TAs to give their teachers whose lessons they're in quite frequently to give their teachers feedback. Now, that feedback won't be based on their opinion of that teacher's, um, uh, of that teacher's practice. Um, that's not their place to do that. Their feedback will be based on uh, probably a a set of criteria that that teacher provides them. You know, I've been working on questioning. These are the things I've been trying to do. How am I getting on? What's been the impact of that? The children you've been working in my class today, how did they, you know, did they understand what they were doing more as a result of my explanation? So the, the teacher will guide what they want their TA to look at, but I want to remove the hierarchy. And I think that will change people's opinion about um about observation. So one of the things we ask our staff to do is seek feedback on your teaching. I don't care who that feedback comes from. It does not have to come from your line manager. And in fact, when I was a senior leader, one of the things that I did do is I stopped the senior leadership team doing any observations at all, other than myself. And, and I think that changed a lot of people's attitudes, actually. No, definitely. So in terms of the end of the process, you mentioned before that uh, staff present some of their findings. So what, what kind of forum do you use for that? Is that kind of a, um, a desktop activity, a kind of marketplace, or is it a formal presentation? How do staff go about presenting to colleagues? They have to do a one-page summary. Um, they, they reflect on uh, five questions. Um, um, they're on the blog, actually. There's something along the lines of, um, what did you intend to achieve this year? What did you do to move towards achieving that goal? Uh, what's been the impact of your work on the students' learning? And the final part of it, which I think is really key, is, is about recommendations for colleagues. So what would you recommend colleagues to do if they focused on the same area as you? And, and the other one, which is a harder question, actually, is how could your your findings of what you've been focusing on this year be successfully implemented in other contexts. So how, you know, I could be an early years teacher. How would this work in maybe key stage two? Or if I'm a secondary teacher, how could this work in upper key stage two? You know, so you've got to start thinking about um, how it may work in other subjects or other age groups. So what they do at the end of the year is they write a one-page summary. That one-page summary will become a public document so that will be placed on a, a central drive somewhere that in the following year, if you wanted to focus on explaining or modelling, you could go to that central drive and look at the one-page summaries of people that had focused on that last year. Because on there, they would have recommendations uh, of what actions you should take to be really good at that thing. So it's a public document, but they also 
present it to their phase or their subject team. So if I was a maths teacher, I might be at my maths department meeting with three, four, five, whatever number of people around the table, and I would just present what I'd been doing for the year. And then when I finished, the next person would do theirs and so on. Mm, fantastic. Now, I know this made a really, really big splash when you uh, put it out on Twitter last year. So if you could mm. just signpost listeners to where they can find more information about uh, the policy, uh, maybe your website, your Twitter, and maybe you could just signpost where they can find that other podcast because that was really good as well. Um, so the previous podcast I did was the At Talking Teachers Um all this information about the policy is on my blog, which is Chris Moyes, that's M-O-Y-S-E, dot wordpress dot com. Uh, so all the, the policy is there and all the, associate, uh, the associated documentation. And I'm on Twitter and it's at Chris Moyes. It's not a very nifty name, but there we are. It is what it is. Um, so I, I don't post a huge amount of blogs. I've just posted some stuff on coaching and some... Um, Thing, uh, something called mentoring cards which I use in the conversation I have so that's the most current stuff but um, there might be something there that interests people I'm sure. There definitely will be and are you out and about speaking to uh, people you go to any conferences or anything like that? Yeah I um, I spend half my week doing work for the trust and the other half of the week I do freelance so I, I work in schools all over the country um, uh, this has generated, interest enough, it's generated a fair bit of work, which is which is quite nice. I'm fully booked now for the rest of this term, and, and, and I've got some dates in the summer. But what I occasionally do conferences. I, I generally avoid weekend ones, uh, although this year I'm doing three research ed conferences. I recently did one in Surrey. I've got one coming up in Cardiff. I think that's next month, possibly, maybe March. And then I'm down at Durrington High School for their research ed conference. Um, at Cardiff, I'm talking about this policy. And when I go to Durrington, I'm talking about how to receive and give feedback better. Brilliant, brilliant. And can I ask for one more recommendation before you go? So I know that you're a big fan of uh, the, the, the vinyl and, and records. So if you can give yeah. us a, a recommendation for what are you currently listening to at the moment, Chris? Um, I'm currently listening to, I'm up in my room actually, where um, I work, I, I have a turntable. Um, and so I have a turntable downstairs. I have about 2,000 albums. And in the room I'm currently in, are all my albums and so the, the the one that's on the turntable at the moment is um an album by it's a 60s album actually by the paul butterfield blues band so if you've never heard of that get on youtube and and and, and give that a spin fantastic and likewise my record player gets plenty of use so that's down where i'm working as well so i often see Excellent. you posting that i don't have the light show that you have with it as well just, oh no 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 yeah that's that, that's a twelve ninety nine lighting rig from Lidl. Um, <laughs> well, I'm yeah, have to get yeah, one now. Based uh, on that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Other providers are available. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, thanks so much for this, Chris. Tonight, it's really really great to speak to you, and that, uh, that, thanks for the time. Thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. And maybe we'll see you on the research ed circuit at some of these um, in the next few months. Yeah, that would be fantastic, Phil. Thank you very much for asking. It's been a real privilege. just talking to teachers. Podcast pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast pedagogy. Listening to teachers.
just talking to teachers. So this week in books, I have started The Volunteer, which is the true story of the resistance hero who infiltrated Auschwitz. And this book was the winner of the Costa Book of the Year last year. And it's a book asking the question, would you sacrifice yourself to save thousands of others? So the backdrop to um, the story is, uh, in the summer of 1940, after the Nazi occupation of Poland, an underground operative called Witold Pilecki accepted a mission to uncover the fate of thousands of people being held in the new concentration camps. And his mission was to report on Nazi crimes and raise a secret army to stage an uprising. And the name of this camp was Auschwitz. This is already, and I've only just a couple of chapters into the book, an enthralling story of heroism and resistance against the most horrific circumstances. And it's a story of one man's attempt to change the course of history. So, um, as I said, it's a prize winner of the Costa Award, and I recommend that uh, if you're interested in that, then have a read of the book. So the book, The Volunteer, is published by Penguin and is available everywhere. Okay, so moving now into the film section. So, this week's choice, and I must admit that I hadn't really looked too much into this before I went to watch it. So, the film in question is The Lighthouse. So, this is not a film for the faint-hearted, and quite often during this film, I had absolutely no idea what I was watching, and it's given me a very different viewpoint about seagulls, but no spoilers. Um, I think watching it after a month, uh, sorry, after the weekend of Storm Kira, that also added to my confusion. So this film is set in New England in the 1890s and is the story of two lighthouse keepers, or wikis to use the naval parlance, and they arrive on a remote island for a month-long stretch of maintenance and solitude. But mysteries abound with both men keeping secrets. Uh, strange, very strange visions and hallucinations appear. So as the film progresses, their grip on reality starts to lessen. So this is director Robert uh, Eggers' follow-up to The Witch and certainly has an A-list cast with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. I don't think Robert Pattinson has done a bad film for years, so that's just a personal view. So without going into too much detail, as some of the content is definitely stretching the boundaries of a family podcast, but this is best described as a tall tale and something of an endurance test. And actually, I felt at the end that I needed to get out of the cinema and, you know, symbolically out of the lighthouse. But if you surrender yourself to its strangeness and enjoy its mood, atmosphere and detail, you will enjoy an acting masterclass from two of the best actors in the business. So that's The Lighthouse, and that's available everywhere now. Into the music section. So, of course, we're on vinyl because, you know, I was born in the 1970s and that's what we do. But this week's vinyl is from Blossoms and it's Foolish Loving Spaces. So, Blossoms, uh, to those of us of a certain vintage, as I said a minute ago, they look like something straight from the aforementioned 1970s, with flares uh, that I certainly haven't seen since the baggy revival of the late, uh, the late sort of 80s, early 90s. They've got shoulder-length hair, and even one of them is sporting a rather fetching moustache. So they also, interestingly, dabble in podcasting. So if they're listening to this, what's the chances? But uh, welcome, fellow podcasters. And they do their own Blossoms podcast, which is well worth a listen. So you can check that out 
on iTunes. So Blossoms are definitely not just uh, a kind of young lads with guitar sort of band. They are so much more than that and go off in various different directions on this record. So everything from gospel, dance and even 80s pop legends, Black Lace are evoked in one of the tunes, or maybe that's just my ear. And the songwriting of Tom Ogden has a real rich seam. So he's been uh, even been writing for The Killers uh, lead singer Brandon Flowers. So the opener which is called If You Think This Is Real Life, and I feel like singing it as I'm talking to you about it now, is so much of an earworm. It's almost as good as the Nailers Natter theme tune. It's got pumping synths and pounding drums and their best track for me since Charlemagne. And there are also some charming little love songs for millennials on there and some massive choruses. So if you haven't heard Blossoms, then you should. And if you have, then there's enough here to enjoy and surprise you with plenty of pop bangers. So that uh, Foolish Loving Spaces is now out on Virgin Vinyl now. So moving into the shameless plugs section and I'm running out of shameless plugs quite honestly so it's just an update on my session for Research Head Birmingham if you're thinking of coming along and joining me for that. So I'm currently pulling together a presentation with the working title Behaviour, Ideology, Evidence and Pragmatism and in the session I will channel all my various different roles over the last few years and their different takes on behaviour. I'll consider the evidence, uh, the polarising debates and the realities of leading on behaviour on the ground particularly in areas of high disadvantage and we're also a few short weeks away in fact you know exclusive as we speak um on a tuesday evening i've just had a meeting with simon cox uh, he's come to see me across the road at school so we've just been talking about that so in a few short weeks it's the event of the year uh, research head blackpool of course and i'm hoping to be broadcasting live and beating craig barton to it only joking craig um i'll probably barge into your interview craig as normal at the end of the uh, research head Blackpool day. So that's coming up soon, but next week we have the marvellous Emma Turner interviewing Sam Twistleton, and this is a cracking interview. I've listened to this afternoon, superb. So it's going to be a half-term extravaganza with Sam Twistleton and Emma Turner next week. So all that remains to say, if you're on half-term this week, well, it's almost over, but hope you enjoy the rest of it. If you're on half-term next week, like me, then enjoy it, make the most of the free time, Get out there and let's hope the weather improves. So see everybody next week. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at PNA1977 on Twitter. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. 